Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Love a Cold War story, and our our classic episode today has everything you would expect from a story of Cold War conspiracies. Back in the 1980s, a story that doesn't get repeated very often now, uh, both Russian and U.S. sources were all uh, like all very befuddled and apparently just terrified that non-state actors had a new dangerous sort of substance in their toolkit. That's right. Red mercury, not to be confused with red Sonia, which I believe is also a cold war adjacent or yellow cake. This is not yellow cake, but is it related? Let's find out. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matt. My name is Ben. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, our compatriot Noel is away from the moment, but never fear. He will return. In the meanwhile, we are joined by our super producer, Tristan uh, Big Red McNeil. Big Red McNeil. That's right. He's no, hanging out. Oh, he gave us an approving nod. He did. Oh, he's he's you're tepid about it. OK. OK. All right. It's like a sideways thumb. Little red, maybe. I don't think anybody wants to be called Little Red. Lil, though. Lil. Yeah. What about Young Red? Yeah. Yep, that's it. <laughs> that's the one. Uh, well, this nickname uh, that we are assigning is not just out of the blue or out of the red, as we would say in this <laughs> case. Uh, it pertains to this episode in, in a weird foreshadowy way. So, Matt. You drive, right? I do all the time. You drive most most days, yeah? Yeah, almost every single day. And you are uh, driving on interstates, probably? 
Yep, those are the one, the long roads that connect the states and drive through the states. Yes, yep, those, those are, are the ones. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever been on the road like Matt and I and Tristan, I assume, and Noel, uh, then you've seen trucks or other vehicles hauling hazmat or hazardous materials. These could be anything from toxic chemicals used in manufacturing to explosives or just really messed up waste. Mm-hmm. In most countries, the transport and storage of this stuff is extensively regulated because, you know, that shit is dangerous. It most certainly is. And in the United States, uh, for example, the feds, the uh, the government, the old big G, mm-hmm. it divides these hazardous materials into several different categories, nine to be exact. Mm. You'll find explosives, gases, flammable and combustible liquids. Those are all kind of lumped together there. Uh, you've got flammable solids. Now, this includes things that would say dangerous when wet. So something like uh, you've got sodium in solid form. You don't mm. want to get that stuff wet and spontaneously combustible. It might just happen. Yeah, that's the most terrifying of all of them, I think. <laughs> I'm just driving my truck yeah. and it, it did its thing. You've got oxidizers and organic peroxides, poison. Uh, that's the toxic sign that you've seen. Mm-hmm. The old, is that the skull and crossbones one? Yeah, old school. And then also, uh, inhalation hazard poison, which is again, as, as you said, Matt, it's kind of pushed together into a, a, you know, this category is like a duplex. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you get into the weirder stuff, uh, radioactive materials, corrosive materials, and the category that sounds like it was totally 447 on a Friday when they were finishing the list. Miscellaneous. Uh, yeah. Generally dangerous. Yeah. Which that could be uh, so many different things. But all of the materials that are grouped in these nine categories are essential to the functioning of society and industry. It's not just a bunch of people with a weird hobby, you know, hauling sodium through the desert or something. Yeah. It's, it's not that Mad Max. Yeah, all those middle school science teachers really need that sodium to, to throw it into a puddle at school one day, so mm-hmm. you got to get it to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think of the children, you know? <laughs> so... There's a organization here in the States, and if you live somewhere else, uh, somewhere that is not the U.S., your country probably has an organization like this, too. In the U.S., this stuff is regulated by uh, a, a group with the incredibly sexy name, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Or FIMSCA. Or FIMSCA. And, uh, yeah, I think Noel would appreciate that. And we're story when i was checking out some of the material on their site and doing some research into hazardous materials we'll see why very soon ladies and gentlemen i was baffled and a little disturbed that the the thing was like riddled with typos yeah two major ones specifically that i didn't even notice when i looked at it ben had to go oh, no look at that word again i well that's the thing man because it is a federal level website. So I assumed that there were closely related words that I was not aware of, mm-hmm. you know, like the, you know, like how absorb and adsorb are two different things. Sure. Uh, I thought maybe combustible <laughs> was, was a word. Combustible. Uh, see, they're just discussing the different ways you can transport it. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. 
convanable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Combustible, comes-danable. Comes-danable? Comes-danable. That's a fun thing to say. That's a weird one. But, point is, uh, let's just, let's just imagine, let's assume, in the most optimistic way possible, that they have, uh, some typos there because they're focusing on keeping things from blowing up on America's roadways. Safety first, not spelling, right? Yes. And whenever you're driving, you've probably seen a hazmat sign. You can easily go to these websites and they will show you the classification. Uh, it's very, it's got a very Ikea approach. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're heavier on symbols than they are on letters. But there is another class of hazardous material. It's one most members of the public will hopefully never encounter firsthand. These are weaponized hazardous substances. These are substances that just don't, don't just like hurt you as a byproduct of what they're supposed to do in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. They were created specifically to kill you and everything you love if you disagree with the people in charge. Yeah, or at least the people that have their hands on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, thankfully, this many of these things we're going to go through here aren't going to be just shipped down I-85, you know. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Perhaps we don't know the ins and outs of, <laughs> you know, whatever uh, black budget group is doing this. But let's get into these. So there's VX. This is an odorless, tasteless nerve agent that in its pure form appears this weird brownish oily liquid. Mm-hmm. It was developed in the UK, the United Kingdom in the early 1950s. And this stuff is particularly potent because it's a persistent agent. Yeah. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, okay. So once it gets released out into the atmosphere, okay. it takes longer than a lot of these other substances to evaporate. So if you've just got regular weather conditions mm-hmm. and you're outside it will persist for days on top of surfaces wherever it just happens to land. And it can even last for months if you're in the right cold conditions. This stuff is very, very dangerous. And you've probably heard about it before. It is a uh, it is a weapon of war. Mm-hmm. And that is its only purpose. Then there are things like sarin, also known as GB. It's It's volatile. It's also a nerve agent. And it's highly toxic. So toxic, in fact, that a single drop... The size of a of a head of a pin, P-I-N, lest my accent betray me, just that drop is enough to kill a human being like that. Yeah, an adult human being. Mm-hmm. It's colorless, it's odorless, and that's when it's at room temperature. Apply a little heat, it evaporates rapidly, and it will spread into the environment. The good news is it's a short-lived threat. You may recognize this from some recent news reports. Mm-hmm. In 2013, the United Nations confirmed that a chemical weapons attack involving sarin uh, spread via specially designed rockets uh, took place in the suburbs of the Syrian capital. This was called the most significant confirmed use of chemical weapons against civilians since Saddam Hussein used them in Halabja in 1988. Yeah, by Ban Ki-moon. Right, Ban Ki-moon, UN Secretary General. Yeah, and uh, I was wondering, Ben, because, you know, we have to take a skeptical look at a lot of these stories that come out when there's a suspected attack. Sure. Uh, I I wonder if our listeners, like, believe that that is truly what happened. 
It's interesting, you know. Uh, there is a uh, there is a wealth of contradictory reporting from all sides in mm-hmm. the Middle East, and maybe that's an entire episode to itself. I think so. Uh, and then, of course, there's mustard gas. This is also known as sulfur mustard, and it gets its name from this smell that it emits. It's like a, it's like rotten mustard, kind of like mixed with garlic. It, it, it's I don't know. You don't want to smell it. All right. And you definitely don't want to smell it. Uh, you don't tell me. <laughs> Let me live my truth, bro. <laughs> yeah. My truth does not hopefully involve inhaling sulfur mustard because it's pretty nasty, right? Yeah. It's, it's in this group of agents called blister agents or vesicants, and they target the eyes, uh, respiratory tract, skin, and it starts off as just this irritant, right? Mm-hmm. And your your body's cells, your skin particularly, gets a little red. But then it starts to poison your cells. When skin's exposed to it, like I said, it turns red, then it burns for a little while. Then these large blisters appear, and it causes some serious scarring. And the pain uh, has been described as unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um your eyes will swell up, tear. You might even go blind if you are exposed to uh, to mustard gas. And it is more well known than another chemical agent, one of the most dangerous chemical weapons in existence now. And this, of course, is just counting the public stuff we know about. There's pretty compelling evidence that during the Cold War, both the U.S. and Russia conducted some very, very unethical, highly illegal experiments in weaponizing different agents. And are you familiar with that show, The Americans? Yes. The spies, right? Right, right. So there are a lot of the twists and turns in that show uh, are inspired by Cold War era espionage. It's a uh, it's a show. It's a fictional show about a family of deep cover Russian operatives living in the United States. Highly recommended. Yeah, yeah. It's on FX if you're interested. <laughs> no one's making us say that. We genuinely <laughs> like spy shows. What are we talking about? What is one of the most dangerous existing chemical weapons that we know of? It's Phosgene. It was first used in combination with chlorine gas in 1915. This is old stuff, too. Mm-hmm. This is old evil. And uh, Germany dropped 88 tons of it on British troops, causing hundreds of deaths. Uh, really nasty stuff. During World War I, in fact, it accounted just this substance alone for 80% of all chemical fatalities. Jeez, and we know that there was a lot of mustard gas and other mm-hmm. things that were being mm-hmm. used during that time. Yeah. Like that uh, Dolce et Decorum Est poem, right? Yeah. And there are, of course, other things. We're barely scratching the poisonous surface of chemical weaponry. There are also cyanides. But when we come to weaponized or dangerous substances, there is one substance that – or a type of substance that is by far much, much more dangerous. So VX can persist in a place, right? Sarin can spread – Rapidly, ricin plays a mm-hmm. uh, big role in uh, in Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, polonium, right? Which yeah. is the Russia's version of uh, "I want you to know who threw this stone." But yeah. 
the most important kind, at least for the survival of humanity, would be radiological and nuclear threats. And this is stuff like dirty bombs, improvised nuclear devices. That that phrase is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, right? It's not like a improv show at Second City. It's No. It's not a yes and bomb. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just throw that, that N-word in there, and even something that's as scary as an improvised device or an IED, mm-hmm. throw that N-word in, and good God. But wait, there's more. Since the late 1980s, intelligence agencies and criminal organizations alike around the world have been chasing after another type of dangerous substance, a mysterious material thought to have terrifying potential for destruction, exceeding the capacity of almost every other sort of nuclear material available, something known as red mercury. See, that's where we got to the name the again. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 there we're, now. We're, we finally got there. We're christening uh, super producer Tristan uh, with a a <laughs> an awful like <laughs> a weapon of, <laughs> of potential mass destruction. Well, that's kind of cool though. Actually, it's cool. It makes an impression in the room. You know, when you walk in. But first things first. First questions first. What is this stuff? Originally, when it was first reported by the U.S. and Soviet sources, the West called this substance red because it came from Russia. Uh, everybody in the listening is just going, yep. That's like the laziest propaganda. <laughs> Allegedly, it came from Russia. That's very important to say because later reports suddenly claimed the material was called red mercury because it had a red tint, a reddish tinge. And as we'll see later in the episode here, that's where the problems begin. Reports of red mercury's composition vary widely. Yeah, and you can see that if you just start taking a look at the reporting that's been done on this substance. So if we go back to 1995 and look at the new scientist, or new scientist, excuse me, there's no the. All right. They have an article called Cherry Red and Very Dangerous. And it says that new information was leaked from South Africa, Russia, and the United States, and it has convinced leading nuclear scientists that this stuff, red mercury, the potential risks of it should now be taken seriously. The uh, scientists, by the way, we're talking about are not just some guys. We're talking about Sam Cohen. He was a nuclear physicist who invented the neutron bomb. And also Frank Barnaby, who was the former director of the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. And it says that these guys specifically were worried that red mercury could make it much easier for nations or terrorist groups to construct small but deadly thermonuclear fusion weapons. That's That sounds pretty terrifying when you read it in something as reputable as New Scientist. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote here from Sam Cohen uh, who says, I don't want to sound melodramatic, but red mercury is real and it is terrifying. I think that it is part of a terrorist weapon that could potentially spell the end of organized society. Dun, dun, dun. Whoa. And he's not saying it. Of course, he literally says he's not trying to be melodramatic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Frank Barnaby's group talked to four anonymous scientists in Russia and said they provided detailed information about red mercury. And at the time, again, this is 1994, he concluded that it is a polymer with a gel-like consistency in which mercury and antimony have been bound together after irradiation for up to 20 days in a nuclear reactor. And his belief, 
again at the time was that this substance could yield enough chemical energy when compressed to fuse tritium atoms and produce a thermonuclear explosion. Yeah, and, and in this article, what these guys were calling for, like the reason why they're bringing all this stuff out into the public sphere is because they were trying to get tritium uh, to be like to put more controls over the production and trade in tritium. Mm -hmm. uh, which they think, you know, if you have this other substance, red mercury and tritium, put them together and you make this device. Right. And we, there are other stories, too, that you have possibly seen in headlines over the years. And we'll just we'll, we'll list a couple. But there's one that I'd like to explore in a little more detail because it's the one that inspired us to follow up on this in the BBC in 2004. Terrorists were arrested because they were trying to buy red mercury. Yeah, alleged terrorists. So there was this newspaper reporter who apparently like did one of those meetings. He was posing as somebody that he wasn't and tried to get them or interest them in purchasing this red mercury uh -huh. that he had. Uh -huh. And anyway, these guys went to trial. It took a long time. I think in 2006 is when it was finally over uh, because all of these dudes got cleared. Because the substance that he had wasn't red mercury. He didn't have anything of the sort, mm -hmm. the uh, the newspaper, the journalist. Right. And these guys, I don't know, how do you – it's that whole entrapment thing that mm -hmm. happened. And they were saying that they were trying to turn the reporter in that they didn't know was a reporter for trying to sell them really dangerous materials. You know, that kind of reminds me of the – FBI attempts a few years back to infiltrate mosque mm -hmm. and try to make the people at the mosque like radicalize them. Yeah. And then they end up calling the cops and <laughs> calling the feds on the feds. Yeah. So there was another story, a local story, 2017, just a few months ago here in Atlanta, where our podcast is based streets downtown closed because on March 30th, there were reports that a man had brought red mercury from Africa and he was walking into the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Whoa. So, so people are freaking out, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, many people have never heard of this. You might think, okay, mercury, what is that? That's a planet. That's a thing that goes <laughs> in thermometers. You know yeah. what I mean? There are probably a few people who honestly thought, and I'm not making fun of anyone, this would like this would seem plausible to me, mm -hmm. who honestly thought, I thought Mars was the red one. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we have a quote here uh, from Atlanta police officer Stephanie Brown, who said, we received a call regarding a male coming into the facility carrying red mercury from Africa. We're still gathering details on the call. And in that article, red mercury is described as a substance used to create nuclear bombs. Homeland Security was called a hazmat team, bomb squad, mm -hmm. fire trucks, who knows, man, veterinarians, yeah. maybe an airplane pilot, uh, like every authority <laughs> you can imagine, like a really old angry librarian. Yeah. Everybody showed up. Yeah. And major parts of Atlanta were shut down, parts of some of the big streets in downtown Atlanta. And then the next day turned out that there were no arrests made. Nope. Nobody was arrested. Uh, what the guy had was, quote, not red mercury. <laughs> um, uh, they, you know, 
it was a claim that somebody made, I guess. And according to this article, you know, they go on to talk about red mercury, what it might be. Yeah. Um, and they said, it says U.S. Homeland Security agents, uh, responded, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that's big time. Uh, has, yeah, all the people that Ben talked about came through. I made the, uh, angry librarian up. I, I don't <laughs> know if she, she was actually there. And then, and then after all of this, no arrests and the police would not say what substance was actually found. There's just definitely not. This red mercury stuff. Yeah. Or is this one of those nothing to see here, folks? Right. That's a good question. Uh, and just to, shall we say, embiggen the sphere here mm-hmm. a bit, I, let's, let's look at red mercury reports in other parts of the world. It's okay. a big deal. So, for instance, in 2009, this was one of the more interesting stories we dug up about this. In Saudi Arabia, Singer sewing machines, pretty popular. Yeah, I know those. Everybody's got to sew, right? Everybody's got to <laughs> wear clothes. Um, in 2009, a rumor spread that these sewing machines, not all of them, but some of them, contained red mercury. Whoa. And it caused the prices to massively increase. And here, here are the two odd things. First, people who believed the rumor were convinced that you could detect red mercury Uh, that it was in small amounts in the needles of some sewing machines. And the way that you would detect it is you would have a cellular phone and you would put the phone while you're on a call near the needle. And if the line cut off when it got near the needle, you knew that red mercury was present. Weird science, right? Yeah. If it's true. Second thing, nobody agreed. Okay. Nobody agreed on what this, what this looked like, if it was really red uh, what it could be used for, but they came up with some ideas. Uh, it, they had said perhaps it was an essential component of nuclear power. Okay. Uh, perhaps had the ability to extract gold. What? Or the ability to summon jinn. Oh, man. Like genies. Yeah. Jin. And So uh, this yeah. potentially could be either giving you lots of power from a military perspective or from a wishes-granting perspective. Yeah, from a magical or occult perspective. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who's interested in learning more about Jin, I do want to refer you to our earlier episode. Yes. Uh, if you have not checked it out, you can find it on our website, Deep Breath, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. And also watch American Gods because <laughs> and, there is a Jin in the episode that went out last. I think it's, it's the third Ifrit. episode. Actually, oh, it isn't a well. It is a fire... form of gin. Yeah. Okay, right? you're right. I think, I believe, I've got my hierarchy correct there. Uh, so, also, that's an awesome book. Before yeah. we move on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bo- uh, book is great. The show is turning out much better than I expected. That's cool, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out. Uh, here's, here's the thing, though. The official spokesperson for police forces in Saudi Arabia said that these rumors have been started by gangs. Who are trying to swindle people out of their money? Because they had a bunch of singer sewing machines. Sewing machine fraud. Yeah, <laughs> that's a weird one to. Uh, that's that's a weird one to go to jail for. Yeah, it really is. You know, did, uh, do you remember that phase? This was off air uh, when I was trying to figure out like the most insignificant or petty crimes. Yes, and uh, the one I. I don't know if this is a crime. Please tell me if this is a real thing, folks. I haven't looked into it yet. Stamp fraud, you know, like making fake postage stamps. Apparently, wow. that was a thing back in the day. It just seems weird. Like, what's your profit margin? 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you tell people you got locked up for when you get caught? You know, I think that is all about bulk. Like, how many can you sell? I made a million thirty-seven cents at a time. Because that ink isn't cheap. No, and then you've got adhesives. Mm-hmm. you got to get, I guess, some special scissors to get that pattern. The perforated lines. The yeah, perforated dude. lines. I don't know. Stamp fraud. It's not a crime <laughs> you want to you wanna get locked up for. And it does sound like this was the sewing machine thing was uh, here and gone hysteria or fad. You know, sort mm. of like tulips with the Dutch or – a dangerous version of Beanie Babies yeah, yeah, or something like that. Uh, but because of these real-life reports, these real-life events in what, over the past 30, almost 40 years, mm-hmm. Red Mercury has earned a place in pop culture. That's right. There were video games made about this. Well, one in particular that we can point to called Shadow Ops colon Red Mercury. This is a 2004 first-person shooter for – Xbox and Windows, and it's one of those, you know, pretty standard wartime FPSs where you're a Delta Force operative attempting to recover, uh, what, a briefcase nuclear bomb? So uh, essentially uh, an improvised nuclear device, and it was codenamed Red Mercury. And to note here, this is 2004 when it came out, but it's from a terrorist mercenary who's operating out of Syria. Interesting. Hmm. Out of Syria. Syria pops up again. And then there's a movie from 2005 that has to do – it's called Red Mercury and it has to do with people trying to chase down sources of this substance. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Have you checked it out? Have I have not it? seen that one. Uh, I'll, I'll check it out. I couldn't find it in any of my standard places. It's not in Criterion Collection or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. So what's what's – Interesting about these pop culture references is they show how the rumors of this substance spread from the realm of journalism into the world of fiction. And that happens on a fairly routine basis. But what if Red Mercury is different? And we'll get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. No one knows. No one agrees what exactly this stuff is, Matt. There is no indication that red mercury is even a mercury compound. However, there are some forms of mercury that fit a little bit of the um, purported criteria. Right. There's a, a red form of mercury that's very toxic, but it's not explosive. There's a red colored ore of mercury, uh, mercuric sulfide, uh, cinnabar, which is toxic, but not explosive. There's mercury fulminate, which is shock sensitive and explosive. And it's been used in some ammunition cartridges. Uh, and there are a couple of other things. There was one. There was one substance, uh, dimethylmercury, that was considered briefly as a rocket fuel in the 1950s, but chemical companies who supplied test materials were not messing around with it. So none of the mercury compounds, none, all caps, N-O-N-E, that have some sort of uh, partial red mercury property can be the actual red mercury. Yes. And that hasn't stopped people from having theories and and, uh, describing it. So we can tell you a little bit about what the Soviets thought it was used for. Yeah, back in 1993, according to, quote, Soviet sources, this red mercury had a street name called Mercuric Stibic Heptoxid, Mm. which is a fun thing to say. This stuff is super conductive and allegedly it's used to produce high precision conventional and nuclear bomb explosives. It could also make stealth surfaces, which is, you know, that's kind of cool. Uh, and also to make self-guided warheads. And let's, let's just reiterate that. Yeah. Con- yeah. Conventional and nuclear bombs. 
stealth surfaces, self-guided warheads. Man, that's a lot of things that this stuff can do. Those are also three very different things, mm-hmm. right? And the properties that red mercury is typically assigned are some of the most common parts of the description of this substance. Yes. It's what is called ballotechnic, which is just a, you know, a fancy way of saying it produces immense pressure when ignited. However, when combined with other claims about red mercury's capabilities, it sounds more and more like a work of science fiction uh, with an emphasis on fiction. Too good to be true. Right. So in addition to releasing massive pressure, this stuff is also strongly insensitive to shock or fire that strongly resistant is a better way mm-hmm. to say it. So, you, you know, you could substitute. You remember Ren and Stimpy? I do. You could substitute. You could take the log song and uh, the syllables don't work out. But if you put red mercury in there, you know, you could <laughs> yeah. do all that stuff with red mercury and it still yep. wouldn't explode. But. Despite this durability, it apparently has a very fast ignition rate. That seems contradictory. It does, doesn't it? And again, extremely high energy density. It's very difficult to identify a class of substances that has all of these qualities. Uh, Sort of a silver bullet, holy grail situation. And Matt, we should say that that none of us on this team are chemists. No. By trade. And we're neither physicists. Yeah, we might be physicists by hobby, but <laughs> yeah. Wait, are you a physicist? I mean, I'm interested in it. I'll read a book about physics. Okay, I definitely um, deal with physics on a, on a secondly basis. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not you know planning to uh, hunt black holes anytime soon. Ah, know? darn it! You know, I I don't get in internet arguments with Stephen Hawking yet. Okay. He's probably brutal. I don't know. Oh, man, I know. He'll let you have it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think he's got a good heart. Oh, absolutely. He's got, he's got a good heart there. Uh, here's something else. Remember we mentioned the nuclear physicist, speaking of physicists, uh, Frank Barnaby earlier. Uh, he worked at the Atomic Weapons Establishment in the 1950s, and he claims that there is evidence that the Soviets turned out vast quantities of mercury antimony oxide, the intermediate and equally elusive compound from which red mercury is supposedly produced by placing it inside a nuclear reactor. There's no doubt they made a large amount of that stuff. I've talked to chemists who have analyzed it in East Germany. But what they did with it, he says, is a mystery. Ooh, I like this guy. Let's bring him back for some things. (laughs) So what are people saying about this stuff, Matt? So some people think that the intermediate compound, the one that Frank there is kind of discussing, Mm -hmm. could actually multiply the yield of an explosion. So if you if you take this and you use it inside a conventional, let's say, a nuclear warhead or a rocket or something, it would work as a fuel additive, Ah. which, you know, that's interesting Mm -hmm. that that. You could use that, I guess, for that purpose, just to just to increase the yield, I guess. That's the idea. You make it stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And others say the compound was irradiated at the core of a nuclear reactor to produce pure red mercury. And this stuff would be capable of exploding with enough heat and pressure to act as a trigger inside a briefcase-sized fusion bomb. So your red mercury, in this case, would just be the thing that makes uh, the reaction occur. Right, right, right. The instigator Mm -hmm. in the crowd of uh, nuclear reactions. 
There are massive problems with this stuff, though. Okay. Yeah. All right. First, the story changes often. Reports of red mercury don't seem to be consistent in any substantive way other than this stuff is powerful. Bad guys want it. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to experts like Barnaby, even if the substance uh, was discovered, it wouldn't be that useful. And according to experts like Barnaby, the guy we keep talking about, even if this stuff was real, it really wouldn't be that useful. And we have another quote. For a terrorist, it would offer no significant advantages over an ordinary high explosive or... If they wanted a dirty bomb, a radioactive source, to go to the trouble of spending huge amounts of money on red mercury makes no sense at all. Makes no sense at all. I couldn't agree with Barnaby more if he's right. If he's right. And according (laughs) to official sources, nobody has actually real facts obtained this substance. So could this be a cover up? If so, What kind? Well, is it one of those things where one or two, maybe even five governments officially know that this stuff exists and what it can do? They have the documentation. They know how to make it, but they want to suppress that knowledge. I mean, I could see that as being a possibility. Here's another odd fact, Matt. A spokesman for the International Atomic Energy Authority said, Red mercury doesn't exist. The whole thing is a bunch of malarkey. Oh, wow. So he's saying it's a leprechaun? Is that slang? Is that? I mean, I mean I'm just the malarkey took me to leprechaun. I'm not oh, sure why. I, okay. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. You're hipper than I am. So I don't know if like leprechaun was like the new thing you say now. I mean, it can be. Do you and your friends when you hang out at the, are you, are you like, what up, leprechaun? Yeah, it's more like an exclamation if something is tremendously cool and if green is involved whatsoever. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, man, that is so leprechaun. <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't want to steal your, your bit. I'm going to try it maybe. Okay. See if it works out. And if it, if it goes well, I'll, I'll tell people that, you know, I'll credit you. Okay. If it goes poorly, I'll take the fall. I like it better than some of the current new slang words. Like what? Combustible? Yeah, combustible. Ugh. <laughs> combustible. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, that's the thing. Oh, fleek. Oh, fleek. You don't care for fleek? I can't fleek, man. Ugh. I just don't like the way it rolls off the tongue. It's a little bit smoother than leprechaun. I'm just saying that as your friend. Well, that's why I like leprechaun, because it takes a little more effort. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's a there's a guy with gold. But just like red mercury, is the effort worth it? Also... <laughs> Also, uh, lest we get too far off the rails, okay. I don't want to bury the lead here. An official spokesperson for the International Atomic Energy Authority said this stuff doesn't exist. It never existed. What? Yeah. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. 
We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So what we're left with here, people, there are two roads that we can go down. Red Mercury is either a long-running propaganda sting operation on behalf of intelligence agencies, Mm -hmm. or it's this ancient relic of the Cold War when tensions were so high and rumors were everywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. We do have a couple of different paths. So let's look at the idea that this whole thing was a shaggy dog story. Okay. That for decades, not just the U.S., not just Russia, but multiple other countries, including South Africa, made up a boogeyman to catch terrorists or criminal organizations or likely each other. We have, you know, we have some indications. Uh, Experts who searched for real red mercury, like Peter Zimmerman, found the story quickly deteriorated and that uh, everything about his search led him to conclude this was a disinformation campaign of phony news articles planted decades ago by the KGB and then by its successor, the FSB. 
And there are other variants in the story, including one where Washington and Moscow worked together, you know, circulating these stories to flush out nuclear smugglers. And the thing with that is this idea of these two uh, ostensibly enemy governments cooperating this way is really popular with a lot of soldiers and officers and bomb disposal and counter WMD weapons of mass destruction jobs. But Zimmerman felt like he couldn't prove it. He felt like he could definitely prove that whatever this stuff is, it's not real. Yeah. Or uh, it's a fishing expedition as mm -hmm. a way to draw people to it. Yeah. 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 Which is, incredibly clever mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta admire the art in some things even if you don't agree with the idea just because these rumors have been so persistent throughout the years and yes. they still exist that, that we can have a story in 2017 where people somebody somewhere in authority said oh red mercury okay shut that thing down shut it all down it could also be um here's here's a different idea maybe a middle ground for us here it could also be a code name for some other type of nuclear industry related material, right? It could have been a Soviet code name for something else like lithium six, which was a controlled material that was actually used in nuclear weapons. And maybe traffickers repurposed the label for whatever irradiated crap mm -hmm. they were trying to, to sell to a unsuspecting terrorist. Because if you read the accounts of people, even ISIS, the terrorist organization, yeah. uh, if you read the accounts of people trying to purchase this stuff, the way that it's explained to them when they finally find it and buy it at enormously expensive prices, by the way, uh, one, one great example would be uh, when it was described as a small box that had to be carried in a special container and had to be opened in a special way with a special device – these were sold separately, I assume, mm -hmm. um, and could never be opened because when it did, everything would blow up in like a multi-kilometer radius. Hold on. I thought this thing was super stable. Well, that's what – you know, you got to have the device okay. sold separately. Gotcha. Uh, but that's that's also – that smacks of classic – of a classic con job because yep. – Yeah, you know, if you can't look at the, the merchandise, yeah, but you're right. going to hand some money over or something, oh – arrested what's that old what's that old saying a pig in a poke is that just something they say in tennessee yeah i, I don't okay, know that never mind it's, it's like don't don't buy a pig in a bag unless you look in the bag it's or it's, give it a poke first like make sure it squeals you know i i gotta check okay <laughs> I, gotta ch I gotta check before we sign off on that as official <laughs> stuff they don't want you to know pig buying advice okay all right sounds good sounds good <laughs> if you happen to run into somebody who has a a burlap sack and they tell you there's a pig in there and they'll sell it to you. Just, I mean, what are you doing anyway? Don't engage with that person. Yeah. Just leave it alone, man. Pig bag man is going to be fine. Jeez. Can leave, can leave him to his own devices as long as they are not nuclear. And now we get to the scariest possibility of all, ladies and gentlemen, red mercury. What if this thing is real, but somehow it's been continually over the decades suppressed right this is uh, i'm going to go ahead and say this is the most disturbing as as you said earlier but it's it's also 
thankfully one would hope the least plausible, but mm-hmm. think about it. It's been in all these news stories over and over in the decades. It's never been verified. When law enforcement has attempted to acquire this stuff, it has in every single case you can find turned out to be something else or nothing at all. Or according to the all. story. Yeah. These are not the nuclear devices you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, we're both doing that Star Wars <laughs> yeah. droid, droid wave. I feel like we need to explain that. <laughs> you, you know the one we're talking about, ladies. It's and the gentlemen. force. You're using the force to coerce somebody. <laughs> using the force. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it turns out that most experts believe red mercury is about as real as the force. Uh, so regardless of how you feel about Star Wars, Regardless of what conclusions you draw about red mercury, regardless whether it is in fact real or if it is in fact an elaborate sting operation that people are still falling for, one chilling fact remains. People are dying Mm -hmm. as a result. Actual people are actually dying because one rumor that spread, we talked about the one in Saudi Arabia, kind of funny. Sewing machine tycoons, Mm -hmm. right? Love it. Love it. Uh, But in Afghanistan, it was a little different because rumors spread that landmines contained red mercury and numerous people died going up to these live mines and attempting to dismantle them and extract the stuff that they thought was in there. Jeez. And dismantling a live mine is, as you may assume, uh, a job for the experts. Yeah. Which that's I, that's yeah. bad. Yeah. But isn't it isn't it weird because I I had no idea that this existed. This is such a, a a strange thing to do. I am persuaded. I'm like 80% sure this does not exist. And 20% uh full of, you know, what ifery. Yeah, exactly. That's I, I hate to agree completely with you on this yeah. just because I want to offer a different opinion. But everything that I've seen in the research that we've done for this leads me to believe that it's not real. But it's hard for me to wrap my head around it lasting this long, a rumor persisting this long. And then what if, yeah, like what, for lack of a better phrase, fueled this rumor for so long, mm-hmm. right? Uh what if there is some sort of powerful substance capable of jump-starting a fusion reaction and it's so dangerous that when people discovered it, uh, they, including, uh, including Dr. Cohen, uh, when they discovered it, they said, okay, everybody needs to shut it down. We know that we like, we know we don't get along mm-hmm. all the time, but we'd like, we look forward to not getting along for a long, long time. And if anybody has this, it's the end. Imagine the implications. If one of these small nuclear devices goes off in a city anywhere in the world and the, the reaction of other countries, right? Mm-hmm. With all, who also have nuclear devices who are going to be trying to point the finger and there's that. It's only a few, what is it, a few seconds when some of the nuclear systems in the world, some of the dead hand stuff, when some of that can be triggered. Uh, yeah, the dead hand system is a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, well, and, you know, 
that's and that was a Soviet thing, mm-hmm. and it's I'm assuming still a Russian thing. Yeah, uh, and then the United States. Who knows what kind of systems that we have with all the all the Minutemen that exist around uh, around the globe now. The spooky thing mm-hmm. about the way the U.S. handles its nuclear arsenal is that a large percentage of it is continually traveling around the globe. Yeah, on submarines. Yeah, which uh, is spooky stuff. Spooky, frightening, semi-apocalyptic stuff. And it doesn't even matter at that point who set off a bomb, Mm. you know, right? Because in in the early part of it, at least, Mm -hmm. whatever reaction occurs is going to be before you can you know confirm mm-hmm. who it is and a lot of our listeners who have lived through the cold war time period you know you've probably seen those accounts that came out years later of how close the entire species got to just calling it one long night and we'd like to hear what you think about red mercury has this ever popped up in your in, in your neck of the woods has anybody ever uh, been on the news for attempting to smuggle red mercury? Has anybody tried to sell you some? Yeah. And did have you seen any other pop references to this? I couldn't recall if in Call of Duty or any of these other games that I've played, it like showed its face somewhere. I can't. I couldn't remember. I just, you know, I, I I'm baffled still because neither explanation is particularly ironclad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It sounds crazy. To say that there's some real substance that is enormously powerful that has just been continually popping up in the news and then being removed. But it also sounds crazy for it to be this elaborate, like, we've said it before on the show, Rube Goldberg-esque hoax. Mm-hmm. It's like that game Mousetrap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could just arrest people. But maybe it's – I'm still divided, man, because maybe it's safer to have a thing that you know is an inert substance right yeah you can just get something that has a red pigment to it and Mm. then it seems like oh that's obviously red mercury so like maybe these intelligence agencies just took a page from shady drug dealers got some paprika (laughs) (laughs) do people do that people are out there selling paprika as red mercury i don't know (laughs) because no one knows what it looks like that's right but yeah, we want we want to hear from you. We want to hear which of these sides you tend to fall on, and um, if you think this is an isolated incident, or you know this kind of mm-hmm. subterfuge, or if there are other examples. And speaking of emails from you, it's time for shout out corners. Our first message comes from Andrew Allenson. He says, I'm writing to let you guys know how influential you've been to me and my team for the past two years. I'm not asking you to plug my project or anything like that. Just wanted to let you know that it exists and to give you a little backstory. Now, we're going to say the name of the game. We are not outright plugging Alan's game. We are telling you about his game. Is that clear? (laughs) Alan, so you don't feel weird. This is, we're going to continue. I'm working on a game called Y2K. Now that is Y11K dash a postmodern RPG. It's about a bunch of conspiracy theorists in the 1990s searching for a woman who mysteriously vanished in an elevator. That sounds familiar, Ben. 
Mm-hmm. The game revolves around a primitive early 1990s occult message board. That's kind of cool. And the, the various threads lead to different quests in the game. I've been a fan of reading about weird things happening since I was a child and came across your podcast and YouTube channel when I was looking for some ideas to fill out the various threads in the game's forum. Your podcasts and reactions to conspiracies were invaluable to getting into the minds of the forum users and making the world feel real. So I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing and keep up the good work. Well, that is supremely cool, Alan. Yeah. Uh, you know that Ben and I are both gamers as well as Noel. Noel talks about that a lot. And uh, knowing that somehow what we've done has worked its way into a virtual world makes me personally tremendously happy. So let us know how the game goes. We'd love to hear an update. Yes, please. Uh, our next one comes from – our next shout-out, rather, comes from Crystal K., who says, Plum Island is an animal disease research facility, at least according to Silence of the Lambs. This would certainly account for any perceived air of secrecy about the place. Also, Clarice was the one who suggested she could arrange for Lecter's vacation to the island in exchange for identifying Buffalo Bill. Hmm. Thank you so much, Crystal. You know, I'm, I don't remember if we mentioned this on the air, but do you know that Anthony Hopkins, do you know how, how much he's actually in Silence of the Lambs? The original Silence of the Lambs? As Hannibal Lecter? Is it like a percentage? He's, it's like 14 minutes. Wow. Through the whole film. He really made an impression, huh? I mean, those are the kind of roles you want to live for, you know? I yeah. Mean, do a cool, creepy 14-minute cameo. Yeah, who happens to be a cannibal. Well, it's like, who's the most important character in Waiting for Godot? The oh, that's guy great... who doesn't show up. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Or RoboCop. Or RoboCop? Yeah. I'm pretty I, I sure RoboCop know. shows up in RoboCop. I know. I was just trying to figure out who the, <laughs> I was trying to figure out who the most important character is, if not RoboCop. But uh, listeners, you'll have to help me out. I, I don't know. There's a French play called Tartuffe, and for the which I remember reading years ago, and for the first easily two thirds of it, mm-hmm. people are talking about. This Tartuffe dude, and he doesn't show up until the end. I was, it was baffled. Nice. He kind of lives up to the hype, but not really. It's, it was sort of the Robocop of its time. Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, I don't know if we can keep doing these jokes unless one of us goes back and watches Robocop. Oh, no problem. I'm I, not going to take the fall. I'm going to do it. And, uh, if you, if you write to us, <laughs> I'll, uh, confirm or, or deny whatever you say. I'll be no, our Robocop expert. Yeah, I'll be All the right. Robocop cop. Uh, we have time for one more shout out. Our next message says, I am me, you are you, and this is an email to stuff they don't want you to know. <laughs> well, of course, I love that opening. Yeah. Uh, love the show, guys. You help me, you help keep me sane whilst at work with the stuff you should know, boys. Oh, cool. That's good company. Mm. Um, now down to business. Vaping. You heard of it? Yes, we have heard of it. Uh, vaping is a smoking cessation. It's a way for smokers to get off the cigarettes in a healthy and safe way. In a basic form, it gives the user the sensation of smoking, the nicotine delivery from smoking, but it leaves out the 7,000 plus nasty chemicals and carcinogens that smoking cigarettes delivers into your body. Vaping has turned into an international multi-billion dollar industry, creating thousands of jobs and businesses. It's created friendships and families throughout the world. Okay. <laughs> I like, I the mean, way, that's, I like the way this guy writes. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, and above all else, it saved hundreds of millions of lives. 
But Ben, here's where things get crazy. Currently, at this moment in time, that's right, whilst you're reading this email, dun, dun, dun. the U.S. government and FDA are trying to destroy it. And I don't mean trying to get the booming industry that is vaping under control. I mean these guys want to wipe out the whole thing 100%. Gone in the blink of an eye. They want it gone, and they're trying anything to do it. Huh. And they, oh man, oh my gosh, okay. So Jack, this is from Jack, by the way. Did we ever say this is from Jack? Not yet. Hi, okay. Jack. Okay, Jack, thank you for writing in. He goes on and he just, he gives us so much great information about vaping, uh, along with his fun storytelling. <laughs> uh, but we're going to end it right here. So why is the U.S. government so against vaping if it is a health benefit to the millions of citizens and the billions of people worldwide? Is it because it's dangerous and will kill people quicker than a bullet to the head? Or would you say it's because the cigarette companies who sponsor these state officials and senators and government organizations are losing millions of dollars worth of revenue each week to people not smoking? No, that can't be. People would think that's some sort of crazy conspiracy. Jack, that's, that is fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much for writing in Jack, Crystal and Andrew. Uh, that, that's a good point about vapory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many conflicting studies that uh-huh. have been coming out over the past five years. Yeah. Vaping is, uh, pretty interesting, you know? Yeah, it is. And, and I've heard a lot of people talk about how it has, help them quit smoking or at least been a part of quitting smoking. Right, right. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the rumors about vaping, the science behind them, mm-hmm. it, it evaporates yeah. after – I'm so sorry. <laughs> after okay. – uh, I'm not really sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm inordinately proud of every stupid pun I've ever made. Beautiful. But, you know, a lot of the science is still contradictory yes, in various studies. Tons of conflicting stuff. And just like the stuff with sugar, we have to ask ourselves who is funding whom Yep. when these things come out. Thank you so much for writing, guys. Again, this concludes our – And this concludes our episode but not our show. We will be returning – the very same time next week, and time is relative. I guess whenever yeah. you check out your the podcast that you listen to, mm-hmm. uh, you will find the new episode of our show. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, next week, Noel will still be on an adventure. Adventures are great, and uh, we will we look forward to seeing him two weeks from now. And in the meantime, if you would like to check out some of the strange, weird, fascinating, disturbing, and occasionally humorous stories that for one reason or another have yet to make it onto the air. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. We're all over the place. Facebook. Yeah. Mostly Uh, conspiracy stuff. mm -hmm. And Instagram is conspiracy stuff show. If you'd like to check out some of the other episodes we referenced earlier in the show, you can find... Not just one, not just three, but every audio episode we have ever done on our website, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. And And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.